going to invite you to go ahead and be seated. We've been in this series, Storytellers, as you know. Welcome. We've been going through lots of powerful stories of God's faithfulness, His power, His love. And uh, we've had a chance to hear what God's up to. And that's been an amazing thing. I want you to remember tonight that part of this process is to help us remember that testimony is not just talking about how we got saved or first met Jesus. It's really a talk that God wants us to have all the time. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation will commend your works to another. So he intended this for his people, that we would share what he's doing, his mighty acts, his mighty works. And so told you at the beginning that we'd have several different stories, several different types, and so tonight we have lots of stories for you. And I've asked my friends Sam and Michelle to help. So they're going to share for a couple minutes with you some short, written testimonies. I asked some folks in the church, what's one moment, just one moment that you knew God was with you? What did it look like? What did it feel like? So as you listen, I want you to listen for those moments, those evidences, and let it strengthen your faith and encourage you. So listen. I thought that God shook me to become a young life leader so he could help kids through me. Well, he did, but before he could, it became very obvious that he had to help me first. Each night at club, I felt as though the speaker was speaking directly to me. It was all starting to make sense, not like before, this time was for real. On Thursday night at Windy Gap in the summer of 2013, the speaker quietly dismissed the kids and the leaders for a 15-minute quiet time. It took everything that I had not to fall apart as I was leaving the room. I was completely broken, and I rededicated my life to Christ. Rob Canarella, 38. Seven years ago, I am 28 and pregnant with our first child. We receive a tragic phone call. My brother has died by his own choosing. I am thrown into months of terror, helplessness, and despair. I wrestle with God day and night. I ask God questions that have no tangible answers, except that his presence is near, that he is full of goodness, and how firm a foundation he is in our shaken world. Six months later, our son is born. We name him Tobias, which means God is good. Katie Albers, age 35. I was a Navy fighter pilot, fiercely independent, aggressive, afraid of nothing. All my best friends had died in aircraft accidents over the years, but I had made it through. I thought I was invincible. But the day five years ago I found out my wife had cancer, I was brought to my knees. Fortunately for me, Anne was a strong Christian, and God had been working on growing my faith for the five years leading up to that moment. If God hadn't provided for me like he did, I could not have been strong for Anne facing that crisis. Luke Memminger, 63. 
It was a vortex of darkness, an abyss of pain, a quagmire of confusion. I watched the woman closest to me unravel in the grips of depression. I am 33, confident, successful, leading, flying, climbing. No metaphorical or literal mountain I cannot climb. I can fix this too, God. I'll let you help. And God watches me try. Fantastic failure, fatigue. I can't do this, God, I cry, conquered, crushed. That's right, God says, but I can. Tears fall on a rented porch, I learn, and meet with true surrender. My God, my Savior, my Spirit, victory only through giving up and letting go. Ross McKenzie, age 44. Easter Sunday, 2003. Enjoyable time with family after church. Ribs on the grill, kids frolicking in the water, family all over the place. I'm kicking back in her recliner, half dozing, half totally zonked out. Then, where's Allie? My wife wonders. Again, again, more desperately. Where's the baby? That sudden sense of dread that every parent fears. A frantic scramble as all the fun ended and her aunt instinctively dials 911. There she is, floating face down the water, blue, lifeless. Her hair spread out eerily around her on the water's surface. How many minutes? No one really knows. That's when time stood still and seemed to lag forever. Picked her up studied her motionless green exterior, all the while hearing my wife sounding, Jesus, please save my baby. Pounded on her back over my shoulder. Again, I hold her in front of me, studying her face, nothing. I laid her down on the edge of the hot tub, strangely the height of an altar. Performed a TV version of mouth-to-mouth, picked her up, nothing. Time is ticking and ticking in my head, racing, yet standing still all at once. I place her at my shoulder again. I'm going for cracked ribs this time. And finally, the sweetest words I've ever heard, my father-in-law's voice. Oh, that's good. Oh, praise God, he is merciful. Still many questions in our head. Will she make it about brain damage, water aspiration, strange peace? The flood of awful thoughts was overshadowed by his presence. She appeared to be fine. Then a few short days, people at the hospital called it a miracle. Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday has even more meaning. Hard to imagine. Then a seemingly unrelated symptom showed up. Would God remain faithful? I know the answer. Joe Knotts at age 39. It was May 4th, 1996. I walked out of the mall and got into my car. A man with a gun opened the door and pushed me to the passenger seat, held at gunpoint, 
I was totally helpless and every imaginable scenario went through my mind. In between my captor's threats, I heard the Christian music playing on the radio. And in that moment, I knew that God was with me. I knew he would guide me through this terrifying situation. I asked my attacker why he was doing this and he said he wanted to be recognized, to be known. I felt an amazing compassion for someone with so little love in his life. I asked him if I could pray for him and he immediately said yes. It was almost as if no one in his life had ever shown love to him. I put my hand on his shoulder to pray. The gun still pointed at me and asked God to bless him and turn his life around. As I prayed, I remembered the words of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God's peace overtook me completely. My captor told me that he had to kill me because I had seen his face. I asked him to please let me go, take my car, my money and let me out. For some unexplainable reason, he agreed. He drove me to a gas station and let me out of the car, even giving me my keys and an umbrella because it was raining. The presence of God in that moment was so glorious and his peace so real and precious. I will never forget it. Anna Cohen. We have one more testimony for you tonight, and it's a video testimony. It's about 10 minutes long, and it's from Allison Hasty. So. Kids, Caitlin and Ryan and Aaron, and uh, our daughter 
Caitlin is married and we have a granddaughter, Ava, who's 10 months old. Um, we've been at Grace for about 16 years now. And um, actually when I first came to Grace, um, I was not saved. And uh, my husband and I took um, the Alpha course and uh, Bob and Janie Simpson were our group leaders. And we, that's where I became a Christian was during that class. I'm here to talk a little bit about um, my God story and um, how prayer kind of got me through some things and brought a lot of healing to my life. I've been asked to share a couple of times now and I've gone to God in prayer about it and I just hear him say, this is my story, this is not your story, tell it. And I go, okay. <laughs> about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago now, May 21st, 2008, um, I was riding my bike and on a bike on the bike path coming down Highway 17, and uh, I encountered a snake on the side of the path, and it just scared me. It was kind of aggressive. I thought it was gonna attack me, <laughs> so I think I gripped on to my brakes and I kind of did a flip over the handlebars, landed on my head. Don't really remember a whole lot after that, um, other than some firemen or a rescue crew being there and talking about my pupil being blown and um, life flight. I heard life flight being mentioned and I thought, this isn't really good. <laughs> um, so anyway, I ended up being life flighted to Shands, Jacksonville. I had a head injury, had some brain hemorrhaging and a bunch of scrapes and that kind of thing um, all over. Um, ended up being in hospital for about a week um, and have, Todd was there by my side I think the whole time I don't really remember a whole lot about that but I knew I just knew that um, I was being covered in prayer I have I can't really explain it other than I had this strange sense of just being kind of floating and this sense of peace and just a knowledge that everything was going to turn out okay to God that 
he would prove this guy wrong and that he would bring healing to my life, to my eye and all that. It might have been that weekend we went down to visit a church in St. Augustine. It was Christ the King Anglican. And um, I was, we went to church and then we went over to some friend's house afterwards and I was having a really bad migraine that day. So some friends had offered to lay hands on me to pray for me. And so the pastor of that church, David Alert, was there, and he anointed me with oil, and all my friends laid hands on me. And they just said a simple prayer for healing of my eye and uh, my migraines. I wish I could say that immediately I had this, you know, miraculous healing, but actually um, that wasn't the case right away. Um, I, we went back home, and then the next week my family and I went on a vacation up to the mountains in North Carolina. And I remember while we were on that vacation, I had a vivid dream that my pupil had gone back to normal size and I could see the blue in my eye again. And But then um, when I woke up, I realized I still had the double vision. I mean, there was two of everything for two months. If you can imagine that, it was kind of frustrating. Then we, we were away for about a week and we came back home, um, I walked into our house and everything just sort of went from two back into one. It was like I went from stereo to mono vision and uh, it was just kind of this wow thing. And I remember my hallway, I was trying to, I used to have these this two hallway thing and I, I came into one hallway and my pupil started to gradually um, constrict again and I went back to see that neurologist he looked, he took one look at me and said, he didn't, he didn't say anything, he was speechless. And um, he just said, well, it looks like there's really been some improvement. And I said, yeah, you know, it's amazing what can happen when um, you pray and God answers your prayers. And I went to the eye doctor a couple weeks later and was told my vision was 20-20. And it's just been a wonderful in my life to bring good. You know, I think he can work all things together for good. But then I think that this experience happened about a year after my dad passed and it just changed everything about how I view God. And I, you know, I, I realized that he is a God who cares and who listens. And um, yeah, I just think it really has strengthened um, who I am as a person, um, my faith in God, strengthen our family, it's brought us together, it's brought my husband and I together. To realize that you have no control <laughs> over things, but to but that we do have the 
the ability to go to God in prayer and, and ask and to have Him, to, you know, to know that He has grace and mercy to answer our prayers. Um, it's just really humbling. If you feel like there's something going on that, in, you know, inside you, or if, whether it's a physical need or spiritual, emotional, and, um, you know, if you're doubting, well, you know, why should I go up there and I've prayed about this and, um, but I would just encourage you to, to go forward and, um, just to seek prayer and, and to have a prayer team pray with you. I think it can really make a difference. I've been marveling each week as we hear these testimonies of how significant prayer is. And each one of them, it's been the, the predominant theological theme is crying out to God or speaking to God or asking for his help in the midst of a difficult situation. And um, what a blessing it is for us to be able to, although we don't have control, we can pray to the one who does. I want to read a passage tonight that is familiar to most of us. And while the entire scriptures, this is God's word, and the whole book in my hand is living and active, there are certain passages that bring together a number of themes and are really powerful. Passages like John chapter 3 and, and Romans 5 and Colossians 3. The passage that Allison mentioned is from Romans 8 which is a picture of life in the spirit. And she mentioned Romans 8.28. I want to read Romans 8.18 through 8.28. I want to read 10 verses to you and just think about how God takes things that are broken, that are hurting, that are marred, that are messed up. And he, because he's a redeemer, he adds value back in and fixes them, heals them, uses them for things that are even better than we anticipated. So listen to this passage about life in the spirit. The apostle Paul is the one writing. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
What a powerful hope that is for us that anything that gets placed into the hands of God will turn out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we're able to go through this life with uncertainties and yet not despair, but have hope. And it's going to be a glorious day when we get to see all the things that God is redeeming and how he does it. The importance of prayer is obviously connected to that. And we don't really know how to pray, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans that words can't understand. Even now, the Lord is interceding on our behalf for past, present, and future things. And he invites us to join him in that work of intercession. So tonight, as we turn to the Lord's table, I want to invite you to join me in interceding for the church and for the world and for uh, sickness and for the lost. And then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll remember how Jesus redeemed something through the cross. Even crucifixion on a cross is able to redeem uh, sin in our lives, and something as horrific as crucifixion turns out to be the glory of God. And if God can take the death of his son and bring about life through that, he can take anything and work good for it. That's what we're learning tonight. That's what we're learning through these testimonies. So I want to invite you now to kneel, and I will introduce these subjects, and then I'll pause and invite you to join me in praying. And feel free to pray out loud if you feel comfortable doing so.